Welcome back to the Dime Gaming Bros podcast. I am one of two hosts, Jacob, joined by the other host, Spencer. Godzilla. Whoa. Uh, wait, does that mean that you're going to include a bad word in like the first 10 seconds of the show? Because that means YouTube's going to demonetize us. Uh, that's what I'm going to use Godzilla as all of my slurs. Oh. I, will I mean, only, a, I will only oppress Kaiju. It was a joke anyway that we get monetized on YouTube. We are Dime Gaming Bros because we like to game, but we are broke, so we try to game for the cheap. And... That's about it. Definitely not going to talk about how many discs we pulled out of the, the dumpster at a GameStop. Um, I used to actually do dumpster diving too. As soon as I was <laughs> able to drive, it was a little bit after it was really popular on YouTube and whatever. But right, uh, so it really is inconsistent. Some places do actually destroy stuff, and then other ones just don't seem to care. That's so, so lame. Like, why weird. destroy it? Let some poor soul have it. No, it's our property in our dumpster. <laughs> a fun tradition we have on this show. Uh, which means the last two episodes, and I'm trying to make it a tradition, is to start off with a bit of trivia before we get rolling. Try to try to uh, get our brains functioning before we start talking for two hours. So, as it is my turn, Spencer. There were... Hang on, I gotta find it. Here is it? I'm on the edge of my seat. 12 seconds later. So here we go. There were three games presented in court as evidence that video games needed a rating system. Two of those games are pretty easy to guess, but I want to hear from you what these three games were. I'm pretty sure you can get the first one right off the bat. So go yeah. for it. Um, I'm fairly confident Doom is one of them. And if it's not Doom, it was probably uh, Wolfenstein. Um, I'm going to need time to think about the other ones. I've heard this before. I just do not remember. I remember which ones, what movies made film ratings necessary, but I don't remember game. Shame on me. The game that I played this past month was my third or a fourth replay of Doom, which is a 2016 first-person shooter game developed by id Software and published by Bethesda Softworks. It is the first major installment in the Doom series since 2004's Doom 3. Players take the role of an unnamed space marine known as the, quote, Doom Slayer. A uh, little pretentious, don't you think? In the first age, in the first battle, when the shadows first lengthened, one stood. He chose the path of perpetual torment. In his ravenous hatred, he found no peace, and with boiling blood, he scoured the umbral plains, seeking vengeance against the Dark Lords who had wronged him. And those that tasted the bite of his sword named him the Doomslayer. As he battles demonic forces from hell that have been unleashed by the Union Aerospace Corporation with their energy mining facility on Mars. 
The gameplay returns to a faster pace with more open-ended levels closer to the first two games than the slower survival horror approach of Doom 3. It features environmental traversal, character upgrades, and the ability to perform executions known as glory kills. Um, okay, so this is a game. It's pretty cool. So Wow. Uh, I know. Solid Doom. review. This has been talked, I would say, not, not to death. Uh, Doom 2016 was a sleeper hit at first for like five minutes. And then um, it somewhat helped reinvigorate the first-person shooter genre. Um, this came out in a period of time where uh, this, this was peak advanced mobility, <coughs> Call of Duty. Mission failed. We'll go next time. This came out at a time where games were focusing a lot more on gimmicks um, for their movement systems and were becoming excessively repetitive and copy-paste, blah, blah, blah. Um, this game comes out. It features platforming. It doesn't have a sprint option. It has a massive arsenal of weapons, which are all toggled through a wheel uh, rather than the classic two-gun system, which was introduced by Halo Combat Evolved. Um, and it just blows everything else out of the water. It's received extremely well by critics, fans, makes a butt ton of money. Um, it gets back to the core of what makes the first two games so special and what kind of made the third game really dumb. Uh, is as they present, as during the announcement of this game, Doom is about um, moving really fast, killing demons, and big fucking guns. That's really it. Doom is pretty simplistic in its design. Uh, as well as its aesthetic and lore. It's, you can do a lot with it. It's a pretty open platform. It's just, you are fast, you use big guns that do weird things, and you kill demons. Uh, gameplay design-wise, Doom has always had a history of, I, I would say one of the first games to, one, be a technically be a 3D first-person shooter, um, but also have the individual... <clears throat> enemy AI combatants be uh, more like chess pieces. This is, this is an analogy that's been used to death, I know, but it is true. Um, Doom started, and then uh, most people would argue, myself included, that Halo continued on, and a lot of games have lost since then. The ability to have individual characters uh, as AI um, opponents that actually serve a specific role in the battlefield, aside from running in, hiding behind cover, randomly shooting, and like that's it. Um, they have it has a very dynamic AI system. They all have different reactions, and each individual type of enemy has its own unique weaknesses in terms of weapon damage type. Uh, they have different movement patterns, different attack speeds patterns. They make unique noises. You can hear them from far away, and so on. Um, they all have a specific role. And then if you put them in a level, uh, whether you're talking about they're already placed or if they spawn or whatever. Um, they act as more like chess pieces rather than playing checkers, which is what basically every modern shooter is at this point, is just playing checkers with pieces that are basically the same thing. They come in, the, you can funnel them into a room, just obliterate the crap out of them, whatever. Um, they're boring. Versus playing with more like chess pieces, you know, this piece goes here, it serves this role, it can move this way, and it does this, and, and whatever. Um, and that makes for extremely invigorating gameplay, and that's why I still play the original Doom games. And then Doom for Doom 2016, whatever you want to call it, comes around and is like, so we're going to do that, but heavy metal is fuck. And then they did it uh, yeah. successfully. 
So the story is really simple. It's basically you are the Doomslayer. You're a dude in a crypt. You don't know why. You wake up. You start punching demons. That's literally it. Um, as the game goes on, you find out a little bit more about why your character was placed in this crypt. You get some cool audio logs um, and stuff like that with some epic voiceover. Um, and then the primary plot just being stopping the invasion on Mars, pretty much. You're in a couple of facilities, you bump into hell for a couple of minutes, and you kill demons, destroy demon cores and spawners, and figure out what the hell this corporation did to be dumb. I know corporations being dumb and evil, what a surprise. So story is super simple. I really enjoy it. I think it has enough of a thematic edge to it in terms of its very sparing use of um, taking away player control. Generally speaking, I would prefer in most of my games to have a quick time event for, I don't know, opening a door or something rather than just a small cutscene. Um, but this game utilizes those very small in-engine cutscenes extremely well. Uh, Doom Guy has a personality, basically just being um, completely unstoppable rage, and that's about it. Um, so you, it, it's portrayed really well through the cinematics, how he interacts with people, doesn't speak, so that helps. Um, and just, I don't know, he, there's these little things. He, you know, he's grabbing an upgrade from a robot, like a drone. And then instead of just taking it, he just grabs it and then punches it so it lets go and like the drone spins out and crashes it's so extra but it's really cool um aesthetics um personally are where this game uh really really gets me uh it's phenomenal it's aged beautifully um my most recent playthrough was on a series x on a 4k monitor at 60 fps and oh my gosh this thing is gorgeous um, the textures are amazing there. I felt almost nothing at all level design wise or textures or whatever were repetitive. Everything loads in well. There's very little pop in um, just performance astonishing. Um, and it was on the original Xbox one as well in 2016. Just freaking great. Um, the atmosphere in terms of smoke and lights and lots and lots and lots of skulls um this reminds me particularly when you go to hell or very infested areas it reminds me of the flood from halo i know i can't shut up but it <laughs> it has a similar type of feel when you go into um particularly high charity but if you go basically anywhere in halo that's a flood related level you just have biomass like everywhere it's just piled up in the corridors and outside there are bodies around everywhere it's like that but it's red and bloody and they make moaning noises even though there's nothing around and there's entrails hanging from the ceilings it's just disgusting and awesome um just general aesthetic is great it's very tidy which sounds weird as I'm describing guts and glory. Um, it, it's tidy in its presentation. There's not a lot of meat, but no, it's all meat with like no fat on its cutscenes, which are all in engine. Thank God, in engine cutscenes are perfect, um, as well as just general level design. It's not linear per se, uh, it is somewhat open, but it doesn't feel like they just said, let's slap another enemy spawner here or let's put 10 extra corridors you have to walk through so it's technically open like it genuinely feels like they said here's a path you can take here's another path you can take and then we got some stuff in the middle to find collectibles and whatever 
Um, and I, I really liked that. I was able to find all the collectibles in this game without a guide, which for me as a collectible junkie is pretty rare because I have a problem where I just go to the guide because I don't want to spend 18 hours on like one collectible. But um, this game hides everything very well. There are very few um, not exploits, but like cheese relate like like cheesing of uh, mechanics to try to get to stuff. It's all very well placed. The um, toys or dolls or whatever you want to call them are really cute. Um, they also play the classic Doom music whenever you pick them up. That's great. Absolute gold. It uh, just feels nice when you're rewarded for putting in the effort and you find the collectibles. Like every once in a while, I'll miss one or two, and that's really frustrating. But it, we don't want intricate. 30 steps to find the hidden secret thing like it doesn't have to be crazy hard just give us a a nice little reward for looking around and enjoying your world yep the only things that get anywhere near that complicated are the secret level doors uh those are a bitch because i don't look for those (laughs) so that that just gets to be hard trying to find a switch in a level somewhere that blends into the environment really well and then you got to find the door later it's a pain but um i don't know it never feels like, in terms of the doors, it doesn't feel like I went, I walked by this already and then they like spawned it in after I walked by and then I have to backtrack to find it. It's like, no, I think I did genuinely just miss that because I'm stupid. Um, the amount of collectibles is very well balanced. It feels good to explore. A total playthrough for me for 100% took, I think about 20 hours the first couple of times. And then this last one, I was just playing on a harder difficulty and doing a semi-speed run. It took like 10 to do all, all the levels. Um, it's a good chunk of game. It's not too much. Um, it has a lot in terms of replay value, whether that be finding collectibles, gameplay scenarios don't play out the same whenever you switch around your weapons or you do different kills to find, you know, whatever. It's very replay heavy which is very nice but it doesn't feel like you missed out if you just sped through it either which i think is something that a lot of games are currently having problems with is they expect you to do four playthroughs to find everything and that's fine but it makes your first one or two feel really cheap um versus this is like you don't have to find anything you can just play it the story is cool the gameplay is fun or if you want to explore and dick around trying to find collectibles you can do that and you can probably get them all fairly easily in a first playthrough or two um uh again with the atmosphere um i will not rant about mick gordon being sent from the heavens or probably more from the depths of hell uh even though for, he deserves it yeah he does um this this soundtrack is astonishingly good um it it reincorporates a little bit of the classic music in terms of it'll take like a leitmotif or a theme and then it'll it'll stretch it out and then change the instrumentation and then like invert it or whatever it doesn't it's very homage stuff you would if you're not like a diehard fan of the original music you wouldn't pick up on it it's very easter eggy you know using the materials from before to build something new which i really appreciate um, it also just sounds like this was made with one dude, like three guitars, uh, probably a drum kit on his computer and like a chainsaw. And I really like that. It feels very one-minded. Um, it's not repetitive in the slightest. It's also dynamic in its instrumentation inside the game, which is something that <laughs> Marty O'Donnell, um, 
kind of mastered, you know, 20 years ago, uh, is having tracks that can play for, you know, eight minutes or whatever. But depending on your gameplay scenario, it'll fade in and out to other tracks. And it's almost always fairly seamless. You don't get repetitive music. Um, it doesn't feel like, wow, the music's still going. Like if, if the music's boring, it'll just stop and you'll have silence for a minute or two. And that's really cool. Um, also just a banger to listen to on its own, especially when it's, it's spliced in with a lot of the voiceover from the audio logs on a disc. It's mwah, so good. Multiplayer. Very brief aside, this did come with a multiplayer component. The multiplayer component was made by the same studio who made Halo 4's multiplayer. Um, and I believe that that shows very much. Um, I wasn't a very large fan of Halo 4's multiplayer. I will play it. It's fun. It's very snappy and whatever. But it, it's extremely Call of Duty-esque, um, which was pretty evident at the time, back when that launched in 2012 um and then it seems like this company kind of had the same mentality with doom of crap we should probably have a multiplayer component for like the lifespan of the game or whatever and it does feel pretty slapdash there's a handful of maps a couple of game modes you're basically just playing as different doom slayers against each other that's really it um it works fine like it's fun i've booted up uh 10 20 games maybe and i've had enough fun um but the population died very quickly because no one no one was buying doom for a multiplayer component the original two games had multiplayer but that was an aside it wasn't the point um i think the same logic extended here it's fine um and then the the snap map feature which is basically forge but cool um i love forge from halo and no the analogies will never stop these two games are very interlinked um <laughs> Snap I map. got that. I got an interlinked medal playing Halo Infinite last night. Oh, I was dying. I don't even know what it means, but I was wishing Colin was there. That's nice. Um, snap map allows you to create your own maps. Oh, who would have guessed it? Um, and game modes. So you can construct rooms, hallways, corridors, spawners, enemy behavior, weapon pads, all sorts of stuff. Um, it's great, honestly. I had put together a few things, aside from just the fact that I wanted the achievements. Um, I didn't really have anyone to play anything with because the multiplayer is dead now, um, and no one really plays this at this point in time, whatever. But I, I made a few things. It was fun. It works well. It doesn't you know, crash your game or whatever, which a lot of map designer programs can do. They just overload the whole system. Um, it worked well. It was very clearly a passion project. It was extremely well polished. Um, so it was definitely something they wanted to do. And I really appreciate that. Um, general can set like general point on this entire game package is that this was like a breath of fresh air for just gaming in general, but also first person shooters. It was a content complete game, which is an abnormality these days, um, which this did come out wow six years ago holy cow um but was still i don't know the legacy is still carried on extremely well aside from the fact that it's had another sequel um 
the attitude was very needed, particularly for me during 2014 to 2017. Games were really, really busted. They're doing it again now, and I don't like that. But all the games I wanted to buy then were have five DLC packs, 10 map packs, microtransactions, loot boxes, and we had to deal with that. Um, and this game just comes in. It's $60. It's a whole package. There's no DLC. There's no internal currency, nothing. Just one game. And that was freaking awesome. Um, I purchased this originally in, I think, 2017 or so for like $40. I have since sold it and repurchased it. Don't ask why. I'm an idiot. Um, my most recent purchase was used at a game store for about $20, $25. And I, I would buy this for full price today. I don't care. Yep. This game is gold. No, no real qualms with it. I wish it was a little longer. I wish the story didn't end on a cliffhanger, but that's about it. Like everything else is just great. Have you played uh, Quake Champions? Yes. Ooh. And how does that compare to Doom multiplayer, in your opinion? Um, I don't know. It's been a while. I don't, there's no like, something in my brain is telling me that there's something there, but I'm also dumb. Why? Uh, I just recently watched a YouTube video uh, and it was trying to make the point that they were, Bethesda was trying or, or set out or had to make it Doom's multiplayer's uh doom's multiplayer distinguishable from quake because they had just released quake champions so it it couldn't just be copy and paste quake champions into the doom disc it had to be something else so that was a part of it but i don't really see it doom and quake are are brothers as much as wolfenstein is true part of the family too so yeah i don't really i wish they had made a better multiplayer that was just fun and <laughs> not really worried about stepping on other series' toes despite yeah. being owned by the same company but i don't know yeah. that's all rumor i, I could say that i mean my preference would have been to have an additional couple of story levels and yeah. and then just to have no multiplayer like just all uh, obviously it was another studio that worked on it it wasn't id software but it would have been nice even if, if they had cut the multiplayer entirely put the money towards uh, yeah a couple more levels and then included snap map just have freaking mario maker mm-hmm. for doom yep. like it would have been fine yep but this is one of my favorite games period and yep. definitely of the past like decade so shall we dive into the news from not this yet pa- uh, yeah. so i want to clarify the trivia question uh, the congressional hearings of 93 and 94 led by led by joe lieberman presented footage from three games one of them was not doom although that was uh, mentioned on the fringes. Uh, I'll, I'll give you one of the three. You're going to kick yourself unless you can guess it now. Wolfenstein? Nope. Mortal Kombat. Oh, shh. I'm going to put my head through a wall. <laughs> but there's two more you can guess if you want. Hmm. 
Gotta think about it more. Mm, no. All right. We will go back to that bitch. Yeah, how did I forget Mortal Kombat? You fucking idiot. Jeez. <laughs> okay. All right. So we have eleven a lot pages of, this. of news. Um, it's been a busy month, my dude. And I couldn't keep it contained in my notes app, so I had to use a Google Doc. <laughs> um, I'm going to try to make it snappy. From Kotaku.com, several Call of Duty developers have revealed to Kotaku that Activision Blizzard's internal unwillingness to directly respond to the recently announced Raven software layoffs was what ultimately sparked the just-revealed broader labor organizing effort at the troubled publisher on Friday of... Who knows what week, because it's been such a big news month. Activision Blizzard informed a total of 20 Raven software game testers that they no longer have jobs after January 28th, despite their, quote, good standing and, quote, status. The company painted the layoffs as part of a larger move to convert 500 contractors to full-time employees, which did little to quell employee discontent. This culminated on Monday when 60 employees at Raven Software walked off their jobs to demand the reinstatement of their laid-off colleagues. QA workers and staff from other Activision studios had joined in solidarity. Multiple sources told Kotaku that attempts to contact Activision management directly had been met with silence. One Raven software tester told Kotaku, quote, the layoffs at Raven were the tipping point. A lot of energy has been building for this movement for a while now. And what happens to us and our response to it was a catalyst that really got things moving, end quote. Today, World of Warcraft UI developer Valentine Powell, Valentine Powell maybe, uh, revealed that unionization efforts with code CWA had been planned for months. Indeed, an anonymous Raven source told Kotaku that they believed unionization was inevitable. It's clear that the organizers recognize the precariousness of their own positions and what had happened to the testers. As one developer from Activision Austin told Kotaku, quote, the reason there's solidarity with Raven is because it's a reminder that unless we stick together, we are all disposable, end quote. According to the Austin-based developer, Kotaku spoke with around 60 Activision Austin employees had been moved from Call of Duty Vanguard to work on Call of Duty Warzone due to supposed lack of personnel. Honestly, that sounds like uh, they got moved up instead of over, but that's just my opinion. Uh, they were then horrified to learn last Friday that Vanguard's testers were being laid off as evidenced by its launch, am I right? Quote, it just made me feel like a tool used to hurt others, end quote. The developer told Kotaku, if I didn't, if I don't, if I didn't like it, then I felt I should do something. While the push to reinstate the laid-off workers is the primary concern for Raven's striking testers, they also they are also participating in the union drive alongside their Activision Blizzard King colleagues. According to one tester at Raven Software, quote, this show of love and solidarity has meant the world to us and we can't thank people enough. And so we have like four back-to-back -back things that are all relevant. So I'm just going to go straight into the next one. Nice. Um, also from Kotaku.com, in an extraordinary turn of events, Microsoft is getting near to a deal to buy Activision Blizzard, the Wall Street Journal reported today. This would not only be one of the most major shakeups in the gaming industry in years, but it could also finally signal the end for its CEO, Bobby Kotick. 
Microsoft said purchasing Activision Blizzard Inc. would make the Xbox maker the third largest gaming company by revenue, only behind Tencent and Sony. The Wall Street Journal says the sale is valuing Activision Blizzard at $95 a share for a total of $68.7 billion, including net cash. Uh, and then I added an addendum to this. Uh, once the deal closes, the number of first-party Xbox studios will grow from 23 to 32. The list of subsidiaries and divisions under Activision, Activision Blizzard King include Activision Publishing, Blizzard Entertainment, Beanox, Demonware, Digital Legends, High Moon Studios, Infinity Ward, King, Major League Gaming, Radical Entertainment, Raven Software, Sledgehammer Games, Toys for Bob, and Treyarch. The most well-known IPs that are owned by Activision Blizzard King include Call of Duty, Warcraft, Candy Crush, Tony Hawk, Diablo, Overwatch, Spyro, Hearthstone, Guitar Hero, Crash Bandicoot, and StarCraft. Uh, more from Kotaku.com. Microsoft revealed a bombshell today. It's buying embattled Call of Duty publisher Activision Blizzard in the largest gaming in the industry acquisition ever, as previously talked about by Spencer. That means a lot of things, including that the head of Xbox, Phil Spencer, will soon be veteran CEO Bobby Kotick's new boss. But what that means for the man currently accused of letting sexual harassment, discrimination, and misconduct run rampant at his company for years remains unclear. Bobby Kotick will continue to serve as CEO of Activision Blizzard, and he and his team will maintain their focus on driving efforts to further strengthen the company's culture and accelerate business growth, a spokesperson for Microsoft wrote in a press release today. Once the deal closes, the Activision Blizzard business will report to Phil Spencer, CEO, Microsoft Gaming. A follow-up statement meant to clarify Codex's future was similarly vague. Uh, two updates as of 118. Kodak told the New York Times he will be available as needed after the deal closes. Sources the Wall Street Journal spoke with claim the companies have agreed that Kodak will depart once the deal closes. Some conflicting reports there. The plot thickens. <laughs> Quote, as a company, Microsoft is committed to our journey for inclusion in every aspect of gaming among both employees and players. Spencer wrote in a blog post today. That is a different Spencer than you. Am I correct? That is correct. Phil Spencer is my third cousin. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, we deeply value individual studio cultures. We also believe that creative success and autonomy go hand in hand with treating every person with dignity and respect. We hold all teams and all leaders to this commitment. We're looking forward to extending our culture of proactive inclusion to the great teams across Activision Blizzard. And quote, Time will tell if that culture at Microsoft will have room for Kote. Last one from Kotaku. Quality assurance testers at Call of Duty Warzone studio Raven Software gave management until today, January 25th, to voluntarily recognize their newly formed union, Game Workers Alliance. Instead, embattled publisher Activision Blizzard announced tonight it would be forcing a vote with the National Labor Review Board and called on that vote to include everyone at the studio a move that would greatly diminish the unionization efforts chances, chances of success. 34 staff from Raven's QA department revealed last week that they were organizing with the Communication Workers of America to unionize an unprecedented step for developers at a major gaming company. They called on Activision Blizzard in the midst of a similarly unprecedented upheaval following allegations of workplace sexual harassment and discrimination last year, as well as the announcement earlier this month of a 68.7 billion sale to Microsoft to voluntarily recognize the union, which had a supermajority support within the QA department. Quote, we've carefully reviewed and considered the CWA initial request last week and tried to find a mutually 
acceptable position with the CWA that would have led to an expedited election process, end quote, Activision Blizzard said in a statement tonight upon rejecting the offer. Uh, quote, unfortunately, the parties could not reach an agreement, end quote. Mm-hmm. When a company refuses to voluntarily recognize a union, the organizers behind it must win a majority in an election ratified by the NLRB, a hurdle that would have been easy for Game Workers Alliance to overcome with just the QR depart- QA department. By requiring all employees at Raven to have a say, Activision Blizzard is effectively arguing that either the entire studio unionizes or no one does. Quote, We would hope that in this case, it would take place quickly, but companies can choose to delay the process to file objections and concerns along the way and to drag things out. And when they do that, it's generally to give themselves more time to to wage an anti-union campaign, a spokesperson for the CWA told Kotaku in an interview earlier this week. That anti-union campaign appears to already be in motion. The Washington Post and Polygon reported that Raven studio boss Brian Raffel has been having meetings with staff about plans to break up QA and embed testers among individual teams. It's a widespread practice in game development, but a suspiciously timed move that Game Workers Alliance called an attempt to, quote, hinder our right to organize, end quote, in a statement today. Quote, so long as we are testing, we are a unit that is linked by our function within the studio, end quote. Raven QA tester Onan Rohestad told the Washington Post today. Quote, our solidarity won't be broken by something like reorganization, end quote. All right, so that's a massive chunk of the related news. I wanted to get through that before we kind of talk about that. Uh, just That was also like half the news. Also true. Um, so my apologies for that. It just, it's all kind of interlinked. Um, so I'll just quickly breeze through a couple of things I wanted to hit on. Um, so the... Raven testers and the whole situation that happened to them initially is really fucking dumb, but um, it does sound like the response has been kind of strange from like everyone's part. Um, so I, I'm pretty sure Jacob probably already knows this, but I have, I, I'm, I'm quite, quite pro union um, for a whole bunch of reasons we're not going to get into, but uh, the fact that effectively it's getting forced to the point where either the entire studio has to unionize or nothing will get done is kind of trash, whether on the, 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 by basically all parties involved in that of whilst personally speaking, I do think every sort of, uh, collective of people should be unionized to some extent or another, um, particularly in the gaming industry, because the gaming and entertainment industry is super fucked with this sort of stuff. They get abused all the time. Um, you shouldn't have to force the entire studio to unionize to get a couple people to like get their rights straightened out. If if the rest of the, the studio doesn't want to unionize, they shouldn't have to be forced to by any parties involved. And that's really dumb. That's pretty common in unions. I know. Though. All right. Um, Not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's pretty no, I, common. I'm, I'm aware. It's something that I have a lot of... Uh, personal difficulty with because there are there is a lot of stuff that gets really messy when it comes to unionizing um i do think the general plight that they're going through is quite justified though it just it does seem like this is getting very messy on all parties um do you have anything to add to that chunk of it before okay cool um and then just with the giant fucking buyout like holy crap dude that's massive huge huge um, it blows my mind. I I swear I learned something in school about, and I know I'm not the first one to say this, 
monopoly laws. And I'm not saying Xbox has a monopoly, but I thought for sure there was something like you can't own more than 50% of the market or something like that. And yeah. someone did I, do the I, math and they did, I'm, they did just skirt by apparently. That's what I was wondering. Like, I'm surprised they didn't <laughs> get to that point with this buy. Like, yeah. holy cow. I think they're pretty much at their limit right now, particularly as these studios, although some of them will probably be consolidated and condensed as they continue to grow under Microsoft, it's they're going to get real close. Um, so in that hand, me no likey. Um, but it, it is obviously mm-hmm. was a surprise announcement. It, the deal's not done yet. The deal has been announced. Everything's been brokered. But this is this is now where st- everyone gets reviewed for the next year to two years, which right is normal, I guess. Um, some of it, personally, in terms of the the stuff with Bobby Kodak, I think is a positive thing. Because I remember Microsoft has, Phil Spencer specifically said, oh yeah, all the crap going over at Activision Blizzard's real fucked up and we're not going to get involved with it, but we're not going to conduct our business the same way with them anymore, blah, blah, blah. I guess that meant that they were going to buy out the whole thing so they can kick out Bobby Kodak. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> That's kind of weird. I'll take it but weird um because i i just so what how do you think this is gonna look in in several years because obviously we're not going to get anything for three years at least (laughs) um do you think what do you think is going to be xbox exclusive and what's not how how is it gonna look you think uh okay that's a good point uh so i didn't add it in but I don't remember where I found it from. It was an official report, uh, I believe, from Phil Spencer. Xbox is going to be allowing uh, Call of Duty to maintain their play for at least the next three years because they have the contract with Sony. Like, they're not trying to screw anyone over. They said pretty openly they're not trying to fuck over Sony. So I think most of the smaller stuff will become Microsoft exclusives. So Candy Crush is huge. I think that's going to get really integrated with Windows. It kind of already is a little bit, but I I think they'll hammer on the the mobile game stuff, the PC stuff from Blizzard in particular. I think some of it might become exclusive or um, timed exclusive preferential treatment type deal. Um, they probably don't want to obviously exclude that much of the market. New properties might become exclusive. Like WoW's been around for like 15 years now or whatever. It's not going anywhere uh, for probably more than that. <laughs> but WoW's not going to go away for probably another like 10 years, if that. Uh, same thing probably with StarCraft and so on. So I think those are safe in that sense. But I think a lot of their their newer properties, which there is one later in the news, that I think may become exclusives or, or timed exclusives. It doesn't have the air of we're going to buy out all these studios and then make them work for us. It feels more like they want obviously the revenue cut, but I think they wanted to straighten out the corporate crap a bit more is the vibe I'm getting. Unlike with the Bethesda acquisition where it did feel like Microsoft wanted to pull some to be exclusives and ax off other properties so they could maintain them as like a first party developer. Right. I honestly hope if there are exclusives that it stays exclusive for like a year and then uh, releases for everything else. Um, Like obviously it doesn't make sense financially speaking to, to make call of duty an Xbox exclusive. That would never happen. That would never happen. 
Um, but but some of the other things, like if if they made Doom or Skyrim Six is an Xbox exclusive, like yeah, one you have to make it first. The two, <laughs> that would that would be a huge selling point, and it. <sighs> my point is, they have to be. It's careful. It's a very precarious uh, situation. Selective. Yeah. To to not shoot themselves in the foot by making stuff exclusive, and and also just make back their money. So True. I think Crash but, Bandicoot might turn into an Xbox exclusive. Actually, that's pretty freaking crazy. Just I'm because I was just thinking about it because it's in the same league as as Banjo Kazooie, which was not but now is but because microsoft plays a lot better with nintendo than sony does um they allowed it in smash and stuff so there's like they're not you can you can play your your like games like minecraft and whatever on a switch using xbox live like the integration with nintendo is high they're not merging or anything but everything a a bunch of stuff has cross play the services carry over stuff like that. So I think that attitude might help in terms of its effectively mascots. Like Peep Crash Bandicoot's not huge, but it's it's still one of those recognizable enough characters. Same thing with Spyro, you know. Yep. Um I just want a good Banjo-Kazooie game again. Same. Those first two were fucking gold and we've had jack yep. shit. Um yep. shall we move on to the next bit? I think so. I said close enough to my bit (laughs) there's only so much corporate speak we can get into (laughs) moving on to the fun stuff um from screenrant.com in 2020 it was heavily rumored that the ps5 would have full backwards compatibility for playstation 1 to playstation 4 games of course this plan panned out to be false but that didn't stop fans from wanting to see it come to fruition xbox managed to get a good chunk of the biggest 360 games and a respectable number of original xbox games playable on both xbox one and Xbox Series systems, which proved to be a game changer for Xbox as it allowed fans to revisit old games, pushing titles like Call of Duty and Modern Warfare 2 near the top of the sales charts almost a decade after their initial release. That was insane. I remember that. A new US PTO report patent filed by Sony's Mark Cerny via Sean McElroy suggests that the company has figured out how to get older PlayStation titles to run on PS5. This would align nicely with the rumor that Sony is planning to include PS2 titles in an Xbox Game Pass competitor. Many believed these games would just be streamable through PlayStation Now, but it seems like Sony figured out how to make it work natively. Whether this will allow players to pop in their old discs like Xbox fans is unclear. The last wave of back-compat Xbox games was released in November of 2021, and Microsoft noted it won't be adding any more titles due to things like licensing issues, one of many obstacles Sony's would, Sony would have to overcome for back-compat games on PS5. Hopefully, an official announcement is imminent. This is cool as hell. I really hope this works, because this is why I don't like PlayStation, genuinely, is they screw over the consumer in terms of pre- previously purchased games. Uh, it's not only in this regard that they screw over their customers. True. It's in many, many ways. <laughs> Quite. So like, cause you have the, you can upgrade your PS4 games to PS5 games, but you have to pay for that. Well, that's a, it's a, it's like been free. And then they realized how much money they were losing. Yeah. They were like, we're not doing this anymore. You're going right. to pay for it. Right. Because those two consoles are basically the same hardware. 
Um, yep. They have the same architecture. So PS4 games play on PS5. That's fine. That's expected. For the most part. Yeah, it's expected. There's a handful of titles, of course. Um, I, I despise PS Now and all of this other crap they have going on. The idea PS- of when it launched of like, hey, maybe the, the consoles can't run it natively. That's too much work. We could stream it from a, an emulator. That's not horrible, but it was way too early in the game for it to work, and they've never fixed it, and it's just yep. trash. It is uh, just hot ugh. trash. It has I mean, never worked. Yeah, that's why the PS3 that I have sitting in my cart I want to buy at some point is one specific model because only the original one was backwards compatible. Like, what the actual hell is up with Sony? Xbox has had the same problem that they have rectified in the past few years with their backwards compatibility system, which is awesome. I did not know it was only one model that was backwards compat with PS... Just PS2, right? Uh, PS2, and I believe some PS1 games. Really? Yeah, it was the original chunky one. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, and like Xbox had the same problem, but they did slowly fix it. And the backwards compatibility system on Xbox One has been out for like five years now, and it's astounding. And yeah. it all carries over to the next gen because next gen or current gen now is the same stuff, basically. Um, yep. So this would be a massive win. Honestly, PlayStation needs it. They need to start making moves. <laughs> they really do. They have all of they have excellent studios and they put out really good first person get like first party games. But the general consumer practices, because they've gotten so arrogant over the past couple of years, are pathetic. Like their console is more expensive than the Xbox was, but it's a lesser console and it has less features. Hence why I continued on the Xbox train. Just uh... So several months ago, there was a company that was making the plates, the replaceable plates for the PlayStation 5 so that you can change it from just awful, ugly white. Hmm. And Sony shut them down and said, no, you can't do that. Uh, Even though it's very, very easy to replace those. And it Mm -hmm. was almost like it was designed to be replaceable, but Sony doesn't even make them. So uh said company got the cease and desist stopped and then the next day announced a different model of plates so just because they were sticking a middle finger up i i might have purchased a a plate but do you even have a ps5 yes oh you son of a bitch i hate you i hate you that's good though i got it last november i was still in oh I don't remember that. Well, yeah. you haven't talked about it a lot because there isn't much to play on it right now. <laughs> uh, I've played a significant amount, but mostly because it's backwards compatible <laughs> with all the PS4 stuff. But no, I was in Connecticut and I got it online and uh, shipped it to my house because I didn't want to ship it to yeah. my hotel at Oof. the time. That's yeah, fancy. that would have been bad. So I was in for four more months and I couldn't play my PlayStation. <laughs> oh, that sucks so Yeesh. but since then i've played a lot and it's great that's nice you do have a fair few games coming out very soon which we will get to so that's Ooh. that's good it's getting there um from the verge.com microsoft has stopped manufacturing all xbox one consoles the software giant originally discontinued the xbox one x and digital xbox one s ahead of the xbox series x launch then X, 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 X. yes triple x baby uh then quietly stopped manufacturing the xbox one s 
at the end of 2020, leaving retailers to sell out the remaining stock. To focus on production of Series X or S, we stopped production for all X bone consoles by the end of 2020, says Cindy Walker, Senior Director of Xbox Console Product Marketing, in a statement to The Verge. <sighs> this is to be expected. It might be a little bit early, but it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah, PlayStation has continued producing um, PS4s, but Xbox had a lot of overstock from how many versions of the Xbox One that they made, because you had the OG yep. one, which was garbage. And then you had the, one, the, the S model, just the new standard, which was glorious. That was a breath of fresh air in 2016. Needed that thing. That was great. And then alongside that, they launched the, the One X, which was the beefed up beefy boy, which was cool. And then they discontinued that one a while ago because it was like the premium that launched us alongside the PlayStation Slim and the PlayStation Pro. And it was infinitely better than the PlayStation Pro because that thing's garbage. Um, so like this is pretty normal life cycle stuff. I maybe would have held on a while longer, but just purely judging and the subjectiveness of me walking into stores, there's still a metric crap ton of last gen hanging around. So I don't think we're going to see any price problems for a while. It's, it's good. Dictate the manufacturing over to the new console so we can get it on shelves, you know? So it's not you one notification on Twitter from some random dude in Milwaukee is like, guys, they have Xboxes at this Walmart, you know? Yep. Cause then it just, it's been weird. It's gotten better. Like they're definitely out there, but it's a pain in the ass. So put those machines to work to make the other machines so I can play my, my ring game from gamerant.com. Ed Boone, co-creator of the Mortal Kombat series, will be inducted into the AIAS Hall of Fame at the 25th annual, annual Dice Awards. Boone, CEO of NetherRealm Studios, has been involved in the gaming industry for many years, being responsible for such franchises as the aforementioned Tournament Fighter, which just saw the release of its 11th installment in 2019, as well as contributing to the Injustice series for DC. The Hall of Fame award is given out to members of the industry whose influential footprint can be felt across many titles, whether it be in one genre or across an entire generation of gaming. Past recipients of the award include highly recognized creatives such as Gabe Newell, mm, Gaben, uh, Sam and Dan Hauser, Tim Sweeney, Todd Howard, and Hideo Kojima. And now, in a press statement released by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, Ed Boon will be the next recipient of the award at the 25th Annual Dice Awards on February 24th in Las Vegas. Uh, Xbox Game Studios' Matt Booty will present Boone with the award. In the statement, President of the AIAS, Megan Scavio, stated that Boone's, quote, dedication and perseverance, end quote, to gaming in both his early works on pinball machines to his contributions to Mortal Kombat have left an incredible legacy for fans and devs to look back on with admiration. Booty, who got his start at Mortal Kombat's original developer Midway Games, adds to the statement that Boone encompasses all of the great traits of a game designer, also noting Boone's support for other people in the industry. Um, this is cool. I included the trivia about Mortal Kombat long before reading the news, so yeah, you, really, yeah, yeah. you really are dumb for not getting it. <laughs> I am pretty dumb, to be fair, but this is nice. Ed yes, Boone seems like nice. a pretty cool dude. He's pretty active like on the internet. He's not that old either, which kind of helps. He's just kind of, he, I don't know, he's a, he's a loud voice, but he's always been a pretty positive one. And it's just nice. I don't know. Give people awards. It's cool. Well, uh, speaking of Mortal Kombat, 
from Deadline.com, New Line is getting back into a fighting stance on a sequel to Mortal Kombat, the action-adventure film based on the blockbuster video game franchise. The studio has hired Jeremy Slater to write Mortal Kombat 2. To Mortal 2 Kombat. Tokyo Drift. What? <laughs> uh, Slater was head writer on the Marvel Disney Plus series Moon Knight. His other recent scripting credits include the Netflix 21 Laps film Uprising with Travis Knight directing and adapting Stephen King's The Tommy Knockers for Universal and James Wan. He also developed the Umbrella Academy for Netflix slash UCP slash Dark Horse and was creator and co-showrunner of The Exorcist on Fox. Cool. Seasoned writer. They're making a sequel because it made money. Please ditch the new protagonist and just make another tournament one. I'll just watch two hours of fighting. I don't even care. Fuck it. Don't make a story out of it. Just have them fight. Just have an arena and just the different fighters come in and out. Just re- remake the original film, but good. Seriously. No story needed. Have them get on a boat, do a thing, do the underground balls. I don't care. Do it again. Just make them fight. That's it. That was the stuff in the the, the new movie that was really good. The fighting was good. The choreography yep. was good. The acting was decent, but the storyline with was dumb. It was not great. I really liked the 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 dynamic between um scorpion and sub-zero like i liked that warring culture thing that was cool but the way they continued it into the modern day absolutely blue so just add new fighters rinse repeat please maybe not do a one shot for the whole movie but have it all as one action sequence so they're fighting on an airplane and then the airplane blows up and they're fighting as they fall and they land in the water and they fight underwater and then they climb up on a boat and fight on the boat and then they crash the boat onto land and have a car chase and they're fighting like that down the street until <laughs> why is it that i like this idea a lot actually no <laughs> <laughs> make it 1917 but like lots of blood and with boobies um that's actually a really good idea. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> um, from techradar.com, Mortal Kombat 12 has seemingly been leaked by a producer at series developer at NetherRealm Studios. Jonathan Anderson, a senior production manager at NetherRealm, recently posted a now-deleted image of his desk covered in Mortal Kombat memorabilia on Twitter. Uh, but eagle-eyed fans spotted that the monitor screen in the corner of the image shows a file titled mk 12 underscore mast while snippets of an email on the screen say our fans eagerly scrape the internet and take care with this material suggesting mortal Kombat 12 is in the works however fans suspect the image may not have been an accidental leak at all but instead a tease for the new entry in netherrealm studios fighting game series yeah clearly this was not a leak this was this is marketing but i don't care Clearly, but I'm kind of surprised that they're already working on, well, maybe not surprised, already leaking 12 because yeah. 11 has had so many freaking DLCs. It's basically uh, Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> like, there's so many characters in there. You would think they would give it time to breathe. That's the one thing with the two most recent entries that I really don't like. I enjoyed the fact, like, honestly, the past three have been really good. But while they're certainly not lacking in content at launch, like at all, I've purchased zero DLC characters. I don't care. They have plenty enough in the base game. I don't like the fact that that's like their monetization model. It's weird. It's not like bad in terms of 
most other microtransaction systems to be fair it's just like oh do you want to play as the terminator like give us five bucks you know like that's fine i guess it's just weird how that continues to expand the life cycle of the game because yeah it came out two years like just under three years ago um you would think they're probably starting on this i don't know i'd give it a break for a while and like really hammer home on like just it next gen exclusive type shit but honestly i would think i don't like the business model and i know as soon as the game comes out that that's what they're gonna do so i wait the five years and then buy the gold ultimate platinum fantastic edition excel edition that was clever i liked that um so that I have all the characters all collected in one disc and I probably got it on a, on a sale or something. So it's yeah. like it, I make it so that it doesn't apply to me because <laughs> yeah. I'm patient. Um, so um, yeah, I, I would think they would milk 11 for a, a gold fantastic, whatever edition. I'm first. sure they'll make it six months and before the new game comes out. Exactly. That's what yeah. I'm getting at. It's cool. Cool. The series continues. Do something, do something good. The past couple of games have been really good and very the new timeline's cool. Uh make a random story RPG game. Fuck it. Wow. Make a new Shaolin Monk game. <laughs> uh from PCGamer.com, Blizzard Entertainment is doing something new. <laughs> yeah, it's getting bought out. <laughs> Rip. True. Uh, the studio revealed today that it's working on a brand new survival game set in a whole new universe, and it's looking for help to make it happen. We are going on a journey to a whole new universe, home to a brand new survival game for PC and console, the studio said. A place full of heroes we have yet to meet, stories yet to be told, and adventures yet to be lived. A vast realm of possibility waiting to be explored. The job listings cover art, engineering, and design roles, and the individual job listings reveal a little more about what's in store. It's a new AAA survival game and not a spinoff of an existing Blizzard game, but a new IP for PC and console set in a world different from any other Blizzard has created. I think this is the most exciting because Blizzard hasn't made a new game in like 20 years. Yeah. That's... It doesn't inherently sound that exciting. It sounds like, okay, it's a, it's a AAA survival open world game. Woo. But they haven't made anything like this that I can remember that isn't ba- basically everything Blizzard makes is just top-down, like, RTS uh, games. For the most part. I mean, they made Hearthstone. Uh, that's and true. I don't know. Heroes of the Storm. That's that's, a, that, yeah. that's really all I got. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's interesting that they're um, branching out, I guess. And this was this this has zero influence from the Microsoft deal because they literally can't make any anything until the deal goes through. So this was of their own volition, which is cool, I guess. I honestly hope that Microsoft buying out blizzard makes diablo 4 at the very least if not immortal like decent (laughs) yeah i can't wait for like three years from now when i can buy diablo 2 resurrected (laughs) guilt-free that thing is weird uh uh, from pcgamer.com crytech has announced that crisis 4 is coming a few hours after its existence was leaked on chinese social media 
A short teaser trailer dropped showing the classic Crisis nanotechnology in all its shiny grayscale glory before ending with the number four and the message, join the journey, become the hero. While it's all very hype, it's perhaps a little bittersweet considering the whole thing was spoiled mere hours before the initial announcement. As spotted by Eurogamer, an image appeared on Chinese social media site Bilibili, which appeared to be a reveal for Crisis 4. The post from Crytek China read, the Crisis 4 project is confirmed, opening a new nano battlefield. It appears that for now, Crisis 4 is just a working title. The YouTube thumbnail calls it the fourth installment in the Crisis franchise, which sort of tracks with when former Crytek CEO said all the way back in 2012 that the next Crisis game wouldn't be called Crisis 4. There hasn't been a mainline Crisis game since Crisis 3 in 2012, though the trilogy has seen remasters over the past couple of years. It has given fans hope that a new game was on the horizon, and the new announcement trailer is sure to ramp up the hype. It seems like Crytek is holding its cards close to the chest for now, though hopefully they'll trickle some new info about the next installment soon enough. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the series, but I do really appreciate like its technological achievements, like the fact that these games have aged like absolute wine. You know, like that stuff's cool. Uh, I recently started playing the first one. <gasps> I was planning to talk about it on the show, but it hasn't happened yet. Maybe someday. Uh, I'm nervous, honestly, about this. Tactical nuke incoming! I don't want it to be Call of Duty Advanced Warfare or Battlefield 2042. Like, it... It needs to be more than just a capable shooter, which those two names didn't really hold up to. Uh, but it, it needs to be crisis and not just futuristic shooter. So yeah. they have a pretty high standard that they need to live up to, and I hope they can do it. Hopefully. Shiny. Also, that crisis... Three, I think is the first game that I was aware of bow and arrows being very popular in. Mm-hmm. And then there's a big resurgence in the early 2010s of games having like bows and crossbows. That was a big yes, deal. yeah. But I think that one kind of might have kicked it off. To be honest, maybe, maybe, maybe that's completely unsubstantiated by fact. Substantiate these uh, from- nuts. EA.com, EA Inc. and Lucasfilm Games are joining forces to continue delivering all new world-class gaming experiences set within the beloved Star Wars galaxy. Respawn Entertainment, best known for their work on Apex Legends, ah, glorious Titanfall, and Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order is leading the development and production of these new projects. Vince Zampella, group GM and founder of Respawn, will oversee this new phase of EA's relationship with Lucasfilm, building on Respawn's award-winning history in game development and expertise in telling compelling Star Wars stories. Telling compelling. Ha-ha. Game director Stig Osmussen and his team at the studio are already working on the next game in the action-adventure Star Wars Jedi series and are joined by two teams working to deliver to deliver additional unique Star Wars gameplay experiences across multiple genres. Leading the development of Respawn's all-new Star Wars first-person shooter game is Peter Hirschman, game director at Respawn, who has a long and accomplished history 
with the Star Wars franchise. The third title is a Star Wars strategy game developed through a production collaboration with a newly formed studio, Bit Reactor, helmed by games industry veteran Greg Force. Respawn will produce the new Star Wars strategy game while Bit Reactor leads on the development of the title. We are excited to continue working with the superbly talented developers at Respawn, said Douglas Riley, VP Lucasfilm Games. Building on the previous successes of our EA relationship, this new collaboration highlights the trust and mutual respect shared between the world-class teams at EA, Respawn, and Lucasfilm Games, said Sean Shakta, SVP, Walt Disney Games. Fostered by the experience and passion within each team, we will create thrilling original games for diverse audiences across the Star Wars galaxy. Working with Lucasfilm Games on a new FPS in the Star Wars galaxy is a dream come true for me, as this is a story I have always wanted to tell, said Peter Hirschman, game director at Respawn. Peter previously worked as VP of development at LucasArts and was executive producer on the original Star Wars Battlefront games. Oh, legend. Hirschman and the team at Respawn have just begun work on the title. This is all super happy mega stonks line go up. Ooh, ooh, please give me, give me now. Uh, except for the fact that it's still EA. It's from Respawn though. Yeah. So I, I will, because of how much EA got their hands slapped by Lucasfilm when they got the exclusivity taken away, I think they'll back off on the monetization problems. Like Fallen Order was God tier. Yep. And they're making more, which we knew anyways, but like, yes. Come on. Gimme, 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 gimme now. Imagine if PlayStation bought EA. Oh my gosh. I would probably kill myself. That 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 probably, would probably would substantiate a monopoly. <laughs> EA is bigger than Activision Blizzard, if I remember correctly, technically. Uh my point was that if if PlayStation bought EA, it probably wouldn't fix EA at all. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. PlayStation would just go, yeah, it's fine. Oh, you want to pinch every penny out of your customers? Do it. Yeah. yeah. Do Here, it, no have, balls. Some, have some tips on how to do it worse. <laughs> True. Um, from usatoday.com, it looks like there will not be another Star Wars Battlefront game anytime soon. On Tuesday, the news came out that three Star Wars projects are in development at Respawn Entertainment. One of them is a Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order 2 to Jedi 2 Fallen, which may appear before E3 this year, while the other two are an entitled first-person shooter and some kind of a strategy game. Besides those, however, it seems that EA isn't making any other Star Wars video games. A report by GamesBeat claims that, according to sources close to Respawn Entertainment, there will not be a Battlefront 3, at least not one by DICE, the same studio that made 2017's Star Wars Battlefront 2, as well as Star Wars Battlefront from 2015. It's anyone's guess why EA would pass on another Star Wars Battlefront, though things at DICE are not going swimmingly as of late. That's an understatement. Recently, reports came in that the publisher was very unhappy with Battlefield 2042. That's an understatement. DICE's last game. In comparison, Respawn Entertainment's Apex Legends continues to be a massive hit. Um, I think this is a bit of a no-brainer, honestly. Like, yeah, there's money on the table, but Battlefront 2 is kind of great now with all of the stuff that they fixed. They changed the progression and the monetization. Every character is playable. It still looks good. It plays well. There isn't much else to do. And DICE is in hot fucking water right now because Battlefield 5 was a rushed production so they could put more of the team into 2042 
And then 2042 was like two years too early and is completely broken. And they're considering moving it to free to play. Like, yeah, let dice just sort out battlefield for fuck's sake. They have respawn sitting right there. Yeah. They made Titanfall and a little Uh, known game called Titanfall two. So (laughs) yeah, it makes perfect sense. Quite. Yeah. Just, let let respawn do whatever they want to do drop dice for a while if not just period they need to get their shit together i mean dice has made good games they just have to get their shit together yeah they need a few That's years it. the last yeah. one i would say was battlefield one and that was like 2016 <laughs> yeah uh from ubisoft.com ubisoft and lucasfilms Games have announced a collaboration on a new Star Wars game. Development on the project will be led by Massive Entertainment, whose expertise and talent will be used to create a story-driven open-world experience within the Star Wars galaxy that will also utilize the studio's cutting-edge technology and advancements, including the Snowdrop engine. Why does that sound familiar? What Uh, else was that used for? Let me see. Okay. The vast Star Wars lore is an incredible source of inspiration for our teams, said Eve Gilmott, co-founder and CEO of Ubisoft. This is the beginning of a long-term collaboration with Disney and Lucasfilm Games, and we are pleased to be working hand-in-hand to build upon the incredible legacy of Lucasfilm to create a game that we know Star Wars fans will love. Snowdrop was used for The Division and The Division 2. Yeah. uh yeah this that's my exact reaction to all of this one fuck ubisoft two fuck eve gimo three i'm still not buying any ubisoft games until eve gimo leaves and four i don't want another open world game so i don't give a shit from blog.playstation.com we have some exciting news for you all we are thrilled to announce that horizon forbidden west has gone gold this means we are all set to start printing and distributing the game ready for you to experience aloy's journey into the forbidden west for yourselves in less than a month I want to take this opportunity to congratulate everyone on the team for what we have achieved together and the community for their continued support and excitement as we prepare for launch. In the past few months, we've shown you a selection of our brand new machines in action, as well as some of the locations and settlements of the vibrant tribes inhabiting the world of Horizon, all captured on the PS5 console. Today, you'll get a first exclusive look at gameplay that we captured on the PS4 Pro console. Um, It looks really good. I genuinely really, really like the first game. I like how I was just bashing open world titles for a second and now I'm jerking one off, but uh, freaking uh, Horizon Zero Dawn was great. And I'm just very glad that there's a good tech upgrade for this sequel. You, you got into anything? Not really. I haven't touched the first game, but... Do it. I was planning to review it next month. So Ooh, that's that's hot. Cool. Watch me not do it now. <laughs> yep. Engadget.com. Two years after the game was initially supposed to debut, Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker saga will finally arrive on April 5th. The long-awaited title from TT Games adapts all nine movies in the Skywalker saga and you'll be able to choose which trilogy to start with. So you might want to get the prequels out of the way first. That is not true. Get the sequels out of the way first. True. The prequels are there for the memes. <laughs> Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga is coming to PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, Xbox Series S, Nintendo Switch, and PC. 
Why not just say everything? Because it's clearly not coming to the Vita. It's not coming on the Wii, man. Nobody's coming on the Wii anymore. Well, well some, some of those Nintendo fanboys have probably come on the Wii. Probably. That's why they're all old and yellow now. Remember when the GameCube came out? Purple? Yeah, baby! And, That's what I've been waiting for! That's and, what it's all about! And not ugly white. I really hate that consoles have gone ugly white. I don't want ugly white. I don't always hate the white because the black is just boring. Like my, well, ex- yes. my Xbox is boring as shit to look at. It's matte, which I appreciate, but like the, the PS5 is a weird design, but I can kind of appreciate it trying something with white or yeah. whatever. Yeah. But yeah, no. The, oh. Just give me freaking colors. <laughs> I don't think green. anyone outside of Nintendo is going to make a trend. Oh, never mind. Uh, Xbox will make a translucent Mountain Dew themed Xbox Series S probably. <laughs> They didn't know that was, that was just the refrigerator. Uh, mm. All right, let me finish this. It's said to be the biggest Lego game to date and publisher Warner Brothers Games provided an in-depth look at what's in store with a gameplay trailer. There are new combat mechanics, including ways to string attacks together and defend yourself with counter moves in styles tailored to your favorite characters. Expect fresh blaster mechanics with an over-the-shoulder perspective and third-person aiming reticle and a cover system. That's right. Teach the kids early how to play Gears of War. Frig's sake. Uh, of course, there'll be a ton of lightsaber action, space dogfighting battles, and many opportunities to use force powers as well. Many levels will have multiple paths to explore, and you'll be able to take on side missions. Class-based abilities are upgradable, and there are more than 300 playable characters to unlock. There's also a mumble mode, which Woo! will replace... That's what I've been waiting for. That's what it's all about. Woo! Intelligible voice lines with mumbling a la previous games in the series. Uh, this thing does look really good. I have no shame in saying it. It's kind of like almost a grand finale for Lego games, even though they're not ending. It's just because they started with Star Wars and they're finally getting to like the massive Star Wars game. It looks good. The graphics are nice. New systems, blah, 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 blah. They're doing the mumbles. I'm happy. Did you pre-order it? No. There's no need. I was going to say that's probably a good thing, but I wouldn't have been surprised if you did. <laughs> It'll get delayed for two more years if I do that. <laughs> right? <laughs> I was just, I remember they announced that it wasn't going to have a mumble mode, and then they went back and fixed it because everyone was so angry. <laughs> yes. It's not a Lego game if it's not mumble mode. I mean, there's some of them because it was a Batman two started the voice acting and it works for some of them. But Star Wars in particular is Lego Star Wars is something special. All right, because that's the end of the news, I will tell you the next game that was presented to Congress to create the ESRB, and that would be Night Trap. Doesn't even ring any bells recently got remastered for no reason (laughs) weird um it was uh i believe it was on the nintendo uh, the super nintendo if i remember right uh there was a party uh at somebody's house a whole bunch of kids were getting together and there were these black creepy crawly things uh, sneaking in through the house, and you had to use the CCTV 
to find all the black creepy crawly monster things so that they didn't kill the kids in the party but even the deaths were dumb they would just set off a trap and the kid would fall through the floor into like some booby trap or something like it wasn't violent at all but that's weird it was scary for the kids back in 1993 allegedly you should definitely google night trap because it's the funniest shit it's so bad oh my gosh i remember seeing this holy shit yeah it's like notorious for being a piece of crap yes oh my gosh oh my gosh yes because it was one of those weird interactive movie things yeah ah spooky it's got it's got boobies anyways no, it doesn't. On the cover. It's on the cover. So what have you what game have you been up to? Because you what? wouldn't tell me, and I want to no. know. Mass Effect Legendary Edition. Oh collects shit. The first three games in the Mass Effect series. One could call it a trilogy because Andromeda was so bad, but let's not go there. Uh Mass Effect 1 originally released in November of 2007. The Legendary Edition was released in May of 2021. For this review, I played just the first one. Uh, So real quick, uh, the story. On a brief mission, Commander Shepard and his crew are betrayed by the regional badass, a specter called Saren. While on this mission, Shepard has a terrifying vision that doesn't really make sense. Uh, when they all report back to the Citadel, the Council doesn't believe that Saren is a bad guy, so Shepard takes it personally and sets out to prove them wrong. I find it kind of funny that Mass Effect pulls a halo here and takes random obscure objects and makes them titles with religious connotations and assumes that you know what they are talking about. You have the matriarch and the reapers and the conduit. Mm. Uh, The difference here is that Mass Effect makes it easier uh, because they have a giant codex that you can uh, use to look up these titles and try to understand them. I read books when I want to read. I play games when I want to play. I do not play games to read books. So you say that as a destiny fan. Yeah. I didn't read all that shit. I collected (laughs) it all. I didn't read any of it. Um, yeah, I didn't read the codex. Uh, Shepard then commands the Normandy across space doing random jobs, even though time is of the essence. You gotta love that, that, uh, open world conundrum. Hmm. Quick, we gotta get the bad guy after we collect all of the things. Uh, find the bad guy before he succeeds in doing the bad thing. Uh, so the sound and music, sound and music, uh, glitched off quite often probably due to me leaving an area and entering the next area uh which was only made even more obvious with a loading box uh but otherwise the there were some solid space synths to set the mood for the whole game uh there was some compressed audio uh, especially in the the codex there was a narrative voice that read the primary codex entries to you or me. Uh, and it sounded like it was squished through a tin can. It was very much not stonks. Uh, 
the Mako's boost, the, 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 the lander that you drive around on all the planets that you explore, the boost is so freaking loud uh, compared to everything else. It would just drown out the music and everything. But besides all of that, the sound balance was mostly tolerable. Just a couple of small problems. Weapons sound freaking amazing. Uh, the weapons all sound the same. So every assault rifle sounds the same. Every pistol sounds the same, despite having different uh, manufacturers. But it's a game from 2007. You can't ask for everything, <laughs> especially the first one of the series. Um, there's an emphasis on finding and buying the Normandy's Quartermaster more licenses to sell Shepard, more weapons from these different vendors and manufacturers, but they all sound the same. Um, the Normandy uses some other, some other ship in space to slingshot it to different solar systems, and the slingshot sounds awesome. It's so cool just being blasted across space. Uh, I was listening with nice headphones, and it had a, a fantastic bass rumble as the Normandy shot through space at light speed uh the visuals some of the cutscenes were eye-poppingly great uh i noticed them mostly at the end of the game when shit's floating everywhere and it was the finale uh there was a great space battle uh and the lighting and and graphics were fantastic when the cutscene goes back to in-game engine the the characters in-game there's a noticeable difference but that's just that's just part of the pain of trying to repaint an old game. There were some egregious texture load-in tricks, most noticeable on snowy planets while exploring in the Mako. Uh, there were very obvious diameters around the rover to load in textures and then shadows. Uh, so everything would be like coated white and then you'd drive forward a little bit and there'd be a rock shape and then drive forward a little bit more and it would be shadowed. It, it was pretty rough on those snowy planets. Um, but besides that, I mean, the, the, the sun that was shining on whatever planet you were on was always fantastic. Uh, there was, yeah, you had the the lens flare like you're in a freaking J.J. Abrams movie, but it still looked great. The planets had different uh, biomes, I guess you could call them. Uh, there were green planets and white planets and blue planets. Um, it was quite nice. Uh, nice. I threw this little joke in the visuals section. Uh, our solar system still included Pluto. So a 10 out of 10 game of the year, baby. Let's go. <laughs> Combat. Guns feel great and they are very fun to shoot. This is a third person shooter when you are actually in combat. Uh, sometimes I had a hard time letting go of a wall to reposition because it's a, a cover shooter. Um, it was nice. Uh, trophy hunting taught me how to use all the biotic and tech special abilities. Uh, and that 
knowledge that I had learned trying to use all the abilities a certain number of times to get the trophy made the final boss a cakewalk. Speaking of cakewalk, though, I was OP most of the time. Uh, near the end of the game, I chose combat uh, instead of running around in a circle to fix the thing to get it a quick kill. I was just like, no, nah, just let me shoot it, and it'll be fine. And it was. Um, melee <laughs> is a joke. Uh, it's very short range, even for a melee move, and it really didn't feel very effective. Um, loot you could loot enemies and the the buildings that they were camped out in and typical of me Skyrim didn't break this of me I was grabbing everything with no recognition of what I was grabbing I just took it all uh, it really wasn't important until I got my ass handed to me in combat so then I would just re-up everything all the loadouts and mods and and armor and i'd be op again <laughs> um i had an issue with uh backpack space because i collected too much crap i learned too late that mods for weapons and armor take up inventory space um so you can sell your crap for money or break it down into biogel you have two those two options uh, I was pretty much swimming in so much coin, it would have made Scrooge McDuck jealous. So about halfway through the game, I learned I should have been making more biogel from my more biogel from my crap. And that is because <laughs> I made a drinking game out of one of the gameplay mechanics. <laughs> um, you are looking for crashed satellites and minerals all over the planets that you land on. And you have to hack into boxes and toolboxes and closets and stuff, uh, which probably hold loot. There's a lot of hacking in this game. <laughs> There's no timer. There's unlimited retries. So every time I had to hack something, I took a sip of whatever I was drinking. It was probably not a good thing, <laughs> but it made the game a lot more fun. It was such a mindless task, though. It, it really kind of brought down my experience because there was so much of it. However, that's what the biogel is for. If I had broken my crap down into more biogel, it was an easy press this button, spend so much biogel, and it opens the thing for you. I didn't realize that when I was playing until it was too late. Oh, well, I had fun. Uh, collectibles don't really have a reason and it takes a lot of work and a lot of unnecessary space in the journal. There were about four optional missions for collecting crap, so like the minerals I was talking about, or there's uh, matriarch tokens or something that you have to find by scanning planets and stuff. Uh, I came within one piece on two of these optional missions. Uh, and less than five out of 40 on another and finish the fourth. I was so close to collecting all of the crap and I didn't make it. I was so annoyed. My OCD is still angry about this, <laughs> but it took up at least four spots in the journal of just collect crap. So yeah, 
Uh, one of the collectibles was resources, metals, precious gases from planets, kind of like oil found anywhere but America. You could find them by surveying planets or as a hidden resource on planets. They don't show up for the landing party on the map. You have to go out and actually find them. They're not on the mini map. I thought that was pretty cool until it got old. <laughs> it would have been cool to have an upgrade eventually to have them show up on the mini map so I can finish finding these stupid useless rocks. Um, usually it was pretty obvious anyway. You would have your, your uh, places to go on the planet marked and then a great wide open section of nothingness. And it's like, hmm, there's going to be a rock out there. Uh, clunky menus had me taking notes with pen and paper, marking down what solar system, what cluster, what planet, and what mission was related to it, just because the, the journal was really clunky and, and difficult to use. Uh, I really loved being hailed by the Fifth Fleet with random missions or distress beacons. I would fly to a new system and, hey, you just landed there. We got a call that somebody's in trouble. You should go save them. That was really cool. Initially, again, by the end of the game, it was pretty apparent how they programmed these calls to you. But game from 2007. <laughs> I'm spoiled as a modern game. Some buildings like the Citadel and Novaria are built so large that they felt like I was playing an MMO on an empty server. <laughs> like it was just, I got to run so far through two loading zones to get to the door, to get to the character that I have to talk to. Like, are you kidding me? It, I get it. It's a big building. <laughs> uh, some weird sections of the game have long loading doors, especially one uh, in the Normandy. It took double or triple the time to load the area or to open the door because it's loading in the next area than all the other doors do in the ship. Uh, also, there are loading boxes that freeze the game, uh, most noticeably while you're exploring a planet in the rover, the Mako. Uh, I found it interesting that there's no way to increase your stamina or your running stats or to improve the Mako, so like the boost on it or the jump ability on it, like. All those things stay the same as when you get them. Uh, the dungeons are copy and pasted. There's like four different building types that you run into, and the layout is exactly the same. Uh, they just change the obstacles, the, the, the walls that you hide behind or whatever. The level up system is pretty weird. There were four points per level up to, yeah, four points per level up up to a certain point, I think I hit like the level cap. And then after that, it was just two points per level up. I don't, I wasn't told I hit a level cap, but I don't know. It was kind of weird. Uh, there were two different times the Mako got caught on a flat surface for like 30 seconds. I thought my game crashed, but it was just a random glitch. Uh, it sounds like I'm complaining about the game. I freaking loved it. I, I played the whole thing in like 25 hours. I missed like four or five trophies. <laughs> like, I, I really loved it. I don't want to come across as 
negative, but these are the things I found in the legendary edition. So just be aware. Um, the companions glitched pretty often. They got stuck in rooms or behind walls, but I didn't really need them anyway because I was OP in combat. It was just weird. I would start some dialogue and they would show up next to me again and that would fix that problem. Uh, some felt useless as uh, a landing party. So Shepard is strong in combat. That's He's maxed out in... So I say he. Shepard, you choose if you're male or female. I chose male because of course... Um, is strong in combat. That's all he has. Uh, so it's pointless to take someone else who splits their stats over combat or something else because I'm already really maxed out in, in combat. Uh, it was better to take a companion that has all their points in biotech, sorry, biotics or tech so that it evened out the party. It didn't make sense to bring somebody that was 50-50. Um, it takes a lot of menu swapping to outfit crew members properly to their strengths, um, depending on their, their stats, their build. Uh, some are, let's say, strong in shotgun, but you had to do a lot of menuing to figure out, to remember which one was strong in shotguns, and then go over to the equipment menu and give them the best shotgun so that you were optimizing your crew. Companions mostly have interesting backstories and motives. There was just one that I really didn't care about because he was kind of flat, um, but everybody else was great. Rex and Garrus's motives were a little muddled. They were mercenary types, and it, unless I really missed something, it felt like they were just along for the ride until they weren't, and they would just jump ship at any time, uh, which was fine until the end of the game rex has a solid story arc and you had to choose whether to be nice to him or be really mean to him and you didn't have a lot of weight behind being nice to him because he's just a mercenary along for the ride so that was a little bit weird but it was a great story arc fantastic uh it was annoying and not knowing when new dialogue options were available to progress uh, your relationship with your companions. So after every mission, I was running around the Normandy, talking to all the people, waiting for more dialogue to, to increase in friendship powers with all my crew members. Um, it would have been nice to know, hey, you can progress their story arc now. <clears throat> instead of wasting so much time going down three le levels of the, the ship and finding out I wasted my time. Um, I got stuck on the same options for a very long time endgame. I think I had run all the stories out early, and that was all that there was uh, because I did all the side missions and whatever else. To wrap up, I bought all three games together in the Legendary Edition for 25 bucks. I finished the story and most of the game in about 25 hours as a first playthrough. I'm pretty sure I played on hard, but don't quote me. Uh, I have no idea if I'll ever replay this first one. 
especially if I play two and three in the future, I might get burnt out, <laughs> especially if I don't space it out. Um, but I really feel like I saw most of what Mass Effect 1 has to offer. It was a lovable, janky game that was probably mind-blowing back in 2007. I can understand it appearing to be highly polished experience then, uh, with my little bit of experience with Dragon Age 1 and 2, those are, are really janky. Um, I, I could see how this was a huge step up in technology for them after those two. Um, it took that formula and put it in space, and it was a really enjoyable experience. I would recommend it for Star Trek fans and uh, Halo fans, maybe. A recommendation would come with a warning, though. There are long stretches of time where you are talking and paying attention to politics or just running around exploring, uh, wrapping up optional missions. This really isn't a fast-paced game. There is combat, but it's not designed for combat. So uh, you have to be patient when you're playing it. Spaceship. Spaceship go brrr. I'm glad you enjoyed Mass Effect. I remember us talking about this a while ago. I was like, that's really yeah. up your alley. You suggested it. And I was like, you know what? You're right. And I got it. And so far, one is great. Spaceship. Um, also, movies. I went to the... Did you go to the strip club? Uh, uh, I went to my local video game store, and he had the book for Mass Effect 2 with the poster still included. Nice. So I picked that up. That's going to help me with my Mass Effect 2 playthrough. Very hot. I missed. I miss when games needed books. Or more like we made the, the books instead of having it all be on websites. Yeah. I like the, I mean, the websites were around well, but like this is before our time, really. Like magazines were dying in like 2005, but still, like they were still around until like 2012 or whatever. That's, that this, is, this is the first book like that that I've intentionally bought. So... I'm excited. I had a bunch of ones for the Pokemon games back when I still played those consistently. That's cool. Now most of that stuff is like just baked into my brain, you know, yeah. playing yellow. It's like, all right, I, I know how to get to the surfing Pikachu minigame, but that's about it. The last game that was presented in Congress that eventually led to the formation of the ESRB in uh, November of 1994 was a game made by Konami. It was Lethal Enforcers. It was <laughs> a motion tracking gun that you pointed at the TV and shot bank robbers with. <laughs> All right. It was, I, I did not know this one. I knew about Night Trap and Mortal Kombat, but this one threw me for a loop. And I pulled it up on YouTube for about five minutes, and it was all the same stuff. <laughs> it was so jank. That does. Um, that sounds like it would have been fun if I was five. It's amazing, uh, looking back now and seeing these games as, oh my gosh, we need an ESRB. So next month I will be discussing uh, Doom Eternal because of course um i don't you... know what i'll be talking about i'm not gonna lock anything in damn bro it do but be like you that. have the trivia next month i does i does 
it'll probably be doom related because i'm a topical idiot so we shall we shall return next month in the month of february well we'll record in february it'll be getting posted in march holy cow (laughs) that's crazy um this will be getting posted in february in a couple of days anyways um thank you to anyone who's actually listened uh thank you to our patrons over at patreon.com forward slash dime comic bros we have uh wesley eaton jeff lorenz and dave uh they've been with us for a while they keep the lights on they help us buy games and whatever uh if you want to become a patron and give us a helping hand in the the monetary department uh be greatly appreciated you can get your name shouted out on episodes uh if you are a follower of our other podcast um which you probably are you'll get some artwork done by colin who is uh one of our other friendzos who does art and shit and just he does shit a lot (laughs) he does um you also get a bunch of stickers which I can say that with confidence now we will be getting dime gaming bro stickers in the near future. So you get all the stickers. Uh, you'll just get our eternal gratitude, you know, all that fun stuff. Lots of other things. Uh, if you want to go check that out, go to patreon.com forward slash dime comic bros. Uh, go check out our Twitter and Instagram for updates, news, memes, random bullshittery. Um, let's yeah. Yeah. That is a thing. Go visit our website at dimecomicbros.com. Uh, if you want to send us an email for some godforsaken reason, you can email us at dimegamingbros at gmail.com. Go check out our other podcast, the main podcast, which we post weekly, uh, Dime Comic Bros. It's available on YouTube and all audio platforms. That's with Colin. There's three of us. It's weekly. We talk about comics and a lot of Batman. Um, I'm going to be talking about a video game next week on our Dime Comic Bros show. Oh, shit. Wow. Damn, bro. I don't uh, know what I'm doing in this job. Talking comics on the gaming show, gaming on the comic show. It's too much cross-pollination. Um, yeah, cross-pollinate so, you. I, I know. Um, so, yeah, tune in next month. Go give us a like, comment, subscribe, please interact with the algorithm share us around if you found us entertaining or educational probably only entertaining but you never know and uh we'll see you next month in march woo thank you bye i'm alive i definitely didn't accidentally sleep until like 11 Nice. I don't know why the hell that happened. Beans, shall we put the show on the road and the rubber and the in the when you and you can when they um Godzilla had a fucking stroke and died <laughs> reading that. Uh it's a good meme. Professional memer. Professional. So um shame on me i'm not a gamer that's a typo on me i will i will give myself lashings and shame me